Welcome to the first official episode of Paragon Podcast. I guess technically it's number eight, but we did do a rebranding from the PT on a Pod show. My name is CO, and I'm excited to bring you another great episode. On today's episode, we had Dr. Joe DeHope, who is an adjunct faculty professor with South College's Doctor of Physical Therapy program, and he did a lot of work in our health promotion and fitness class regarding uh, anaerobic training. He did a great uh, presentation during our lab immersion on anaerobic training, and that's really how we uh, ultimately reached out, got him on the show, and on today's episode, we really talk about his background with strength and conditioning and working with uh, athletes at the University of Tennessee before ultimately transitioning into the realm of physical therapy. And also, we kind of get into talking about residencies and what students can consider and should consider before applying, whether that be an orthopedic, neuro, peds, etc. type of uh, residency. We also kind of go over a high-level overview of the importance of strength training, not just with athletes in general, but also with uh, our older geriatric patients, your weekend warriors, because Dr. DeHope now works in a inpatient uh, setting where he's working with uh, geriatric patients and kind of how Dr. Jeff Moore spoke with or about during our previous episode about really building armor around patients to make them harder to kill by making them healthier, stronger, and really helping them get back to doing what they love and enjoy doing. And on today's episode, I was joined by my co-host and one of the co-founders of Paragon Physios, Eric Bond. And uh, at the beginning of the episode, we're kind of just um, talking for five minutes or so before Dr. DeHope joins us. So if you want to skip to the official beginning of the episode, just go ahead and go to the five minute and 10 second mark. And as usual, if you can leave us a review on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, all your main podcast applications, that would be amazing. We're always looking for ways to improve and bring you uh, more quality content. And as usual, if you can uh, like us on Instagram, go follow us our page at Paragon underscore physios. Uh, we're putting out a lot of uh, great quality content around uh, evidence-based research with really all things related to physical therapy, health, and wellness. So I really hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and thank you for listening. What's up? Hey, Chris, how we doing? Good, man. Not too bad. How about yourself? Doing all right. Easing into this new term here we got. Yeah, we are rocking and rolling. How was your weekend, dude? It was relaxing. Probably should have done a little more schoolwork than uh, I didn't do. (laughs) (laughs) It happens. I can't imagine how you do what you do with your work schedule and our very rigorous school schedule, especially for this quarter. Your machine. Time management, man. Well, it's nice, but I don't have as many sync sessions, so that, that helps. Yeah, that's true. See how uh, cardio poem goes over the next few weeks. What's, yeah. uh, what's it looking like for, for the Steelers draft picks? Oh, man. I don't know. Uh, rumor shows running back, but I really think we need offensive line first. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But we'll see. I, you know, usually offensive line, you can always get later in the draft as well. Yeah, that's true. But I don't know if Najee Harris is there. At, I think 24, Ooh. 26, whatever pick. That's going to be hard to pass up. <laughs> yeah. It just looks too good. Yeah. Did he did he uh, participate in that pro day? I know he drove no, back he didn't. to Alabama just to watch others, but he no, he didn't participate. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> he just needs. All right. I still can't believe the 49ers traded up for the third round, third pick. Yeah, that is insane. Insane. It'll be interesting to see who's on the board and who they decide to go with between yeah. those top three. Curious if they're going to trade Grappolo or hold on to him and let him be like a veteran or something. Yeah, it'll be interesting yeah. to see. So, um, let me see. Um, I'm trying to think. Should I go ahead and send Dr. DeHope? This link now. We're about three minutes prior. I'd wait a sixty seconds. Yeah. If I click the off phone on my button, will it make me leave the recording? If you hit what? If I like turn the phone, like if I make the screen go black. That's a great question. I don't know, but we have three minutes to find out. So if you want to go right, ahead and here we go. Three, two, one. Can you still hear me? Yes, I can. Is hey. your phone on uh, do not disturb? Yes it is. All right, perfect. I forgot. Almost forgot to do mine, and no one will bother me. Yeah, (laughs) I remember that that time at lab in August. We were like forty-five minutes in. Oh man, that was brutal. We adapt, overcome (laughs) all that stuff. Oh man, (laughs) I may even leave this part in in the episode. This is some good. It's good quality content. You know, Joe Rogan, I, I, I've heard several episodes where he does that. He'll just be uh, kind of shooting it with uh, a, one of, like, three guests that he has on at one time, and then you can just hear people kind of, like, shuffling in, like, three hours into the episode. So I think we'll be good. All right. Go. Uh, let me go ahead and send this over to our guy. And... We will get this show rolling. Very pumped about this. We don't experience any technical difficulties. Oh. Who has a busier schedule, you or your wife? Uh, well, me, because I'm in school. But, I mean, yeah. she's also at home working with a, a little puppy dog. So she gets mad respect for that. So. Yeah. All right. Let's see here. Uh-oh, Prez. Did you uh, see you're no longer Prez anymore? Oh, yeah. I spoke to Dr. Patron about it. I told him, I was like, I'm not throwing my name back in the hat. I think Why? it's for Well, I asked him first if other people were running, uh-huh. and he said yes. And I was like, great, because I would have thrown my name in the hat if nobody was going to run for it. But I think it's great. One, I strongly believe in term limits. <laughs> and two, I think it's it's a great opportunity for other students to kind of that's get fair. a feel for yeah. what that role is like, and um, if the opportunity presents itself again, then we'll kind of see see how it goes. Cool. Uh, I'm curious to see who is running. That was a lot. A lot of great names on that list. 
Yeah. A lot of great names. Oh, there we go. Hey, Dr. DeHope, can you hear us? Yes, can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. I've got... Uh, yes, we can. Eric Vaughn with me, our co-host today. So uh, we were just kind of talking about the weekend. How was your weekend? Uh, good weekend. Not not too much outside of the house, uh, thankfully. I had been running around pretty crazy the last few weeks, so I was happy to have some downtime. Good. That's always awesome. good. Well, well um, I have Eric on the, the show with me today, and kind of before we get started... Just wanted to say again, thank you for such a great lab immersion for health promotion and all the faculty did a great job. But I know specifically when when your um, section came up for anaerobic training, Eric and I were texting back and forth just how excited we were, we were to kind of learn more about the strength and conditioning side of it and kind of learning more about, about your background. So for our listeners and audience, can you kind of just give a, a brief intro, kind of your background and kind of where you are today? Yeah, uh, I'll, try to, I'll try to keep it short. And then if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to fire away. Um, I, I grew up in Northern California uh, in the Bay Area. I did my undergrad uh, far away from, from Northern California uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. So go Cornhuskers. Uh, I started out as a pre-PT major. And then while doing some, uh, some volunteering work with the athletics department there, I started skewing a little bit more towards wanting to pursue the coaching realm. Uh, so throughout my, my undergrad that, that kind of turned into, to my primary focus, my bachelor's degree is in, uh, nutrition, exercise, and health science. Uh, I got a minor in psychology before moving down to Knoxville, Tennessee, where I got my master's degree at, UT in sports psychology and motor behavior while I was working as a graduate assistant with their athletics department, uh, primarily working with the football team and then a few other teams as well. Uh, but football takes up the majority of, of your free time, especially with, with studying. Um, and, and through that time there, I really got a great taste of, you know, what the strength and conditioning world looks like, uh, really the, the top tier, if you will, in terms of you know, equipment and space and level of coaching and learn more about, you know, strength and conditioning in my, my couple of years there than, than I ever would have been able to just gobbling up textbooks and articles. Uh, but not long after finishing there and seeing the other side of the strength and conditioning uh, world, especially when it comes to collegiate athletics on having to try to scrape and scrap for an entry level position at some small school and all of the hours that it takes for the pay that you're going to get. Uh, I started thinking again about the PT side of things. And, and that's always something that had spoken to me about, you know, being more of a diagnostician and not just uh, somebody who is jumping around and yelling and screaming in a weight room, which is certainly a whole lot of fun. Um, but I, I wound up coming around full circle a few years after finishing my master's degree and jump back in. I uh, got my DPT at South College, still here in Knoxville, and learned more in those two years about PT than I ever thought was involved in, in the profession, not just when it comes to orthopedics, manual therapy, but all of the different realms within our, our umbrella of physical therapy. And following that, uh, that very fast two years that you're in the middle of right now, I went back to Nebraska for a year. I did my orthopedic residency at Creighton University in Omaha, 
and I was one of three orthopedic residents there. And and uh, not long after, uh, it feels like that started. It ended. That was a very fast year as well. Uh, no more grueling than than the two years at South, even though it was a little more specialized. Uh, I've returned to to East Tennessee, and now I'm working in a hospital based outpatient clinic. We have a gym attached to my facility. Uh, and so I, I definitely have, have plenty of equipment left for me to use. The population's a little bit older, a little bit more of your kind of active retirees than it is collegiate or high school athletes, but definitely very much an active population, very motivated, determined to, to get better and get back to doing what they were doing. Uh, not quite as heavy of weight that we're throwing around, but I'm happy to say that that the intensity and the effort of of my patients is is, is every bit as high as anywhere else I've been. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I want to kind of go back real quick and uh, kind of just talk about how you stumbled upon South College because, in my experience throughout the application process, South College was a school that I'd never heard of. But now that I'm a student and you see the caliber of faculty that we have there. It's at least for me. It's crazy that I wasn't aware of of, of this school um, when I started the application process. So, did you just happen to 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 end up at South College just because you were already at UT and you were in the Knoxville area, or was it? Uh, did you stumble upon it in a different way? No, it was it was mostly that. Um, I I had a a local connection here. Uh, he is a, a regional director uh, for Benchmark Physical Therapy. Uh, who, as I was, I was talking to about thinking about maybe getting into the field, uh, was was very supportive. Answered a lot of questions for me, and he said, "You know, there's there's a program that's that started here. Uh, I, I believe they were maybe in their first first cohort uh, at at that point in time. Uh, they definitely had not completed their first graduating class. Were not accredited yet, but he was the one who who put them on my radar." Um, I actually needed to go back and take both of my physics classes as, as prerequisites uh, oh, as, as kind of a classic undergrad student uh, kind of mentality. I did not need those to graduate. <laughs> I did not need those to get into my master's program. Uh, and I was not planning on going to PT school when I went to get my master's degree. And so I, I did not take them for fun. Uh, I didn't take them for fun the second time, but I took them out of necessity. So I yeah. had a, a little bit of time to, to get both of those knocked out um, and then had kind of kept my eye on, on South's program to see, you know, what, what that was going to look like as best I could from the outside. But if I'm being honest, I did not know how good and how, how esteemed the faculty were, especially the adjunct faculty, until I was a student. Uh, I had done, you know, enough due diligence to feel comfortable about uh, you know, the program being a good fit for what I was interested in, you know, quite a bit of, of musculoskeletal content. Uh, but a big driver was that it was it was local to me. I would not have to move. Uh, I was married uh, by then. Um, and it was also a two-year program. And so, you know, not having to relocate, not having to even commute daily to get to campus, being able to study from home, it was, it was a really, you know, for me, convenient fit that seemed to be a you know, good enough program, and it wound up being an incredible program. So, so part of it was was also me getting a little bit lucky as well. Awesome. Now, I know um, Eric has um, a few questions regarding strength and conditioning and working with athletes, but I do want to ask uh, 
one quick question because you mentioned kind of like that um like the field of strength and conditioning having to like really scratch your way to kind of get into like whether that be a division one program or top tier d2 d3 or even naia or maybe even at the professional level i've some good friends that are in the strength and conditioning realm. And it seems to just be a challenge to kind of really find the the right fit and the right job. It, do you think that's just because of that, that field is saturated with a lot of great strength coaches or what are some challenges you feel that um, contribute to that? I think the biggest thing is, is a supply and demand. There mm-hmm. is, there is a lot of supply to meet the demand. I mean, who, mm-hmm. I, there, there certainly are people who would not who would not find that that fun uh, in the circles that I I tend to to move in. You know, almost everybody would find that fun. I mean, you get to mm-hmm. you get to live in in sweats and shorts, and you know, you get to, you get to throw weight around in your downtime, and and when you're actually working, you know, it's a high high energy environment. Um, but there's just there are so many people who who have a passion for it and who want to do it that 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 seems to really drive down the opportunities at the entry level of, of mm-hmm. getting into that field, especially in, in some kind of a, an academic environment, whether that's any level of collegiate sports or higher level high school. Uh, and, and there are also only so many positions available, even at your, you know, your power five or, or other conferences uh, for football, you can only have five full-time strength coaches on your staff. Uh, and so, you know, there's there's a lot of of networking that that comes into play to to try to fill fill those spots. And, you know, with with only there being so many of those upper echelon jobs, there's also a lot of people who are who are really jockeying for those as mm-hmm. well. And so it's it seems like at every level from what I've I've experienced and, and the friends of mine still in that field that I've talked to is that that every every tier kind of has its own. Um, you know, really desirable aspects. You know, the highest salaries are obviously going to be with football in your Power Five schools. Mm-hmm. You've got nearly an unlimited budget. Uh, when I had started at UT, they were building their brand new weight room. They didn't have drywall up in the building, uh, and and I was there helping put in new equipment. Uh, not long after that, first coach was let go because there was a turnover in the head football coach. New coach comes in. The entire weight room uh, was was flipped around in terms of layout, new equipment, and then another weight room had been built while I was there. Uh, so I had seen three different iterations of of weight rooms that would make almost any program in the country jealous. And so there's mm-hmm. there's certainly a draw there. And then you have your you know your your power D twos or your D threes where there's a lot more job security. The pay isn't as good. Uh, it's not maybe quite as glamorous, but you can you can settle into a town that you like. You can raise you know a family. Those jobs don't open up very much because people don't want to leave. There's a lot more stability, mm-hmm. and then you've got kind of the position I was I was in as as being a young gun coming in, and there are just so many people coming out of their undergrad or graduate work clamoring for for some of these assistant jobs at smaller schools, and so it, it's really a big supply and demand piece. Uh, I know several people who have stuck it out with with the grind, and they're they're the ones who are who are loving every minute of of what they're doing. And uh, I knew if I if I continued down that path, 
I would have I would have enjoyed it for about five, maybe maybe ten years. But then I I would have started burning out a little bit on on the hours and the time, and that's that's why I decided to make a bit mm -hmm. of a pivot. No, I I hear you. I I feel like me and you had some very similar paths where I um, I wanted to go D one the whole time for athletic training, and so I went to University of South Carolina for my master's program, and I worked football and track and field there. And then just realized I got burnt out in grad school, just being gone every single weekend on top of schoolwork, on top of, you know, the GA position that it required. And then seeing, oh, you work 100 hours a week, which is amazing. I loved working, but you're getting paid X. And so that right. didn't really match up to me. And it didn't, you know, I couldn't see, I knew burnout was going to come at some point. And I knew it would have been hard with family and everything of wanting to grow one at some point. So I kind of went the clinic route and sport performance route for about five years before I got into a PT program and really found a mentor that was an ATPT to kind of push me that way. Um, and so seeing how now that you finished that and you did your ortho, one, why did you do an ortho residency? And then two, how come you chose the outpatient clinic you're in now and not more of pulling from your background of high level athletics and kind of bridging the gap um, on that sense. Sure. Uh, the, the main driver for the residency was, was a large part in the push from South college who were, who were putting kind of that bug in our ear from, from orientation that, that even though there's a lot to learn and a lot, we will learn, there is, there's a much greater level of depth than, than can be covered in two years, let alone three years of a, a traditional program. And then the adjunct faculty that they have are, are you know, so well esteemed. Uh, I, I can only think of a handful, uh, you know, myself included, who are not fellowship trained, who are, you know, to, to say only residency trained uh, is, is really impressive. And so, so seeing that there was such another, uh, another layer or two or three or 40 or 50 to, to your clinical reasoning and your ability to practice uh, I wanted I wanted to make sure that that I got as good as I could get as quickly as possible, especially not coming into the PT world, you know, directly out of out of my undergrad. I'm definitely not old yet, but I'm definitely not one of the younger students who who were in my my cohort for PT school. Uh, I was the oldest of all of the PT residents at Creighton while I was there uh, and not by much, but but I definitely did not want to to waste any more time. And when I heard that you can, you know, anecdotally pick up anywhere between, you know, four or five years of experience in that one residency year. I was all for it to, to keep packing in as much as I could. Uh, another big draw was the amount of teaching that I got to do for that particular residency program. So we were in the clinic three days a week, uh, three 10 hour days with our, our nearly full caseloads. And then we were on campus Tuesday and Thursday teaching musculoskeletal content, orthopedic content, and then doing uh, some research as well. And that was, that was another big draw for me on that residency in particular. Uh, as far as current practice location, uh, I was looking for a job right in the middle of still the upswing of this COVID-19 pandemic. And I made a list of all of the things that I was really looking for in a place of employment. And I tried to kind of give it a weighted scale. And this current clinic is, is the one that gave me the most of, of all of those things that I wanted. It's a hospital-based system. I get an hour of one-on-one -on -one care with the patients. I'm attached to a weight room where 
Unfortunately, we do not have bumper plates, but we do have plenty of kettlebells, a squat rack, free weights, uh, and and it is an active patient population who has a, a fairly low, you know, cancel or no show rate. They're motivated to get back and, and doing what you want them to do. If you ask them to do something, they will they will do it. Um, and if I was if I was still coming maybe right out of my master's program, right into PT school. I probably would have skewed a little bit more towards uh, the younger, you know, stronger, faster population. But but what I had really discovered through through some of my time in both my residency and clinical rotations, I like working more with people who are giving me a higher level of their effort instead of just looking at their output. So if if I've got you know an older geriatric patient who is is struggling to to knock out uh, you know, if, if we want to call them a sit to stand instead of a squat in that environment, uh, you know, 15 of those holding on to a 10 or a 15 pound dumbbell, but they're giving me all they got. That's a lot more, you know, energizing and fun for me than, than even somebody who's faster, who's, who's maybe rolling their eyes at, at some lower level exercise that I'm sure more you know, rewarding just, too. Yeah. Uh, and they, you know, they, they're, they're a lot more, you know, a lot more appreciative, uh, you know, at, at that level, uh, if I could pick, I would certainly love to have, you know, a sprinkling of, of each, but the locations where it was, it was going to get me around, uh, you know, a younger, more athletic population was going to have a lot higher caseload demands. Productivity was going to be a lot different and there was no place connected to, you know, a gym that had, that had an opening at the time. And so, you know, it's, it's definitely not the same level of physical output of, of most of the individuals that I'm working with. Uh, but, but the level of, of effort that's there is not lacking at all. Well, that's awesome. Cause I mean, it's all progression, right? I mean, whether it's a squat with 300 pounds or a squat with body weight, we all have to do it. Um, yeah. So I think that's great that you're doing that. And for all your patients, you get a one-on-one hour with them. Correct. Yes. That is wow. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so you see eight patients a day. Uh, I'm typically nine a day, uh, four, four, 10 hour days. Uh, and then, uh, there's, there's a break in there for lunch. So, you know, it's, it's certainly, you know, a lot of people in the the sports and ortho realm, you know, their dream is to, to, you know, work with that really high level individual. Uh, but for, for a quality of, of, you know, patient care and schedule and and demand one-on-one care for an hour is really, really tough to beat. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Cause that's a goal of mine one day is to be able to have that established. So I, I thought that was um, great that you're doing that and especially adjacent to a hospital and it's not like your own like cash based practice or something where you set it up on your own. So. Yeah. I had a quick question about that. I know there, there are so many differences in settings, whether it be one-on-one, one-on a lot more patients in that. Um, do you feel like it, it's just a better model to have one patient at a time? Uh, I know there are clinics out there that, you know, we have PTs that are seeing 20, 30 patients a day. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about that? Are, are there pros and cons to really both approaches? I would say from, from my experience being skewed more towards, more towards the one-on-one care model uh, from, from where I've worked. Uh, anywhere between an hour to 30 minutes of, of one-on-one care is typically what I've had. Uh, I think that that's, 
that's definitely the preferable model. I think at a certain point you're you're just juggling so much between people that that they're not getting they're not getting the quality of care that is going to lead to the best outcomes. Um, you know, every every individual needs a little bit different level of you know attention. If if you know you have somebody who is you know a little bit little bit further along, you know, towards their return to sport, you know, kind of kind of phase where they're they're really just doing a little bit more general strengthening or conditioning drills where they they may have good, you know, motor control, you know, proprioceptive awareness, where, you know, if you're there as a resource to answer questions or, you know, to to kind of nudge them along and and say, you know, throw throw another 10 pounds on the bar. There's there's nothing there that's going to hurt you. Uh, mm-hmm. And then redirect your attention to somebody who maybe needs a little bit more of, you know, your neuromuscular re-ed or, or direct focus. That, that that would be fine, but I think if if I were running, you know, my own clinic, and and when you certainly have bills to pay, and and you have to make a certain amount of revenue, I would I would much rather develop my staff of, of whether that's ATCs or or PTAs um, to to work in in more of a two patients with one hour environment, and then mm-hmm. almost be more of more of an overseer as as the PT. Uh, you know, doing the main evaluations and and then spending you know ten or fifteen minutes with with each person that comes comes through the door uh, to to do some you know some adjustments, some evaluations. Uh, I guess I should I should be careful with adjustments with with considering some manual therapy terms uh, adjustments to plan of care. Uh, yeah. And then and then maybe doing you know maybe doing some appropriate some appropriate manual therapy. Um, but if it was if it was just myself seeing patients, I I really think that that thirty minutes is is probably the minimum that I'd want to spend with with an individual. Otherwise, I feel like I'm spending more time transitioning my train of thought between people, yeah. and and all all I'm doing if if I'm stretched thinner than that is is really making some low level decisions that that anybody you know anybody from from a you know personal training realm could could make you know increasing the resistance on a theraband or a dumbbell or or you know things like that which are you know easier decisions to make when you don't have have the time or the thought power to devote to to what's actually best for that patient awesome thank you for for sharing that i think it's it's so important to to consider all those those variables um i know we're kind of getting close on time there are a couple more questions that I, i wanted to go over because in health promo, we talked about program design, and I, I know uh, some of it was spent on athletic population, and I think it's great that you have that experience. We're working with geriatric patients now as well. W- what do you feel students can do uh, to learn more about effective programming for all types of patients? Um, I know that we briefly talked about CSCS, but um, are there any other resources, programs that you would advise uh, for students to learn more about program design? Because there seems to be, um, I know we kind of briefly spoke about it. It's not taught in depth at the PT level. I know some people get it heavily in undergrad, whether that be exercise science or X-phase or anything like that. But w- what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I would I would say for, for someone who's really, truly uh, – you know, not not in a negative sense, but ignorant when it comes to the field of of strength and conditioning of of you know program design. If that's just not something that that they had a lot of exposure to, uh, you know, whether that was that was not through sports when they were younger, or 
you know, maybe their undergraduate program was, was, you know, more nutrition or, you know, even not an exercise science realm. Um, I think the American College of Sports Medicine's personal training certification, which is based on uh, their exercise testing and prescription textbook, is a really great place to start. Uh, it skews a little bit more towards um, their aerobic programming, but for you know mm -hmm. a more general population approach, uh, it's, it's unfortunate to say, but that's probably what what more people need as far as how sedentary uh, we've become. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to, to, you know, to short the idea that, that every one of us would probably be better off if, if we were stronger, uh, stronger people are harder to kill and generally more productive members of society, but that's not a leap that a lot of people are, are willing to make, you know, your, your general, you know, office worker and whatnot, but getting them more aerobically active, uh, is, is a great place to start. If, if someone is a little bit further along, if that's a little bit too, too rudimentary or basic. Uh, I really do think that that the CSCS credential and the NSCA's textbook is a really good place to start. They go into depth on different energy systems and programming uh, and and really do a, a good job of giving you what it is that that you need to know to really get into that realm uh, and and be in a in a place where you really are competent and know you know know what it is that that you are doing. Um, and it's it's a good it's a good indicator towards you know other people who have that credential that you have a you know a requisite level mm -hmm. of of knowledge in the field. Um, for most you know PTs um, PT students, I think those two resources are probably the best places to start. Um, I I really don't dive you know as deep into the strength and conditioning uh, you know science and and periodization and programming as I did as a strength coach, because we don't see our patients for, you know, that same period of time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if it is a longer rehab process, like a, a rotator cuff repair or an ACL, we spend so much of that initial time, you know, building up to that return to sport. Really the most that I, I get into that realm is, is, you know, really one, um, you know, one micro or mesocycle and then giving them the next progression to continue with, either on their own or with their strength coach or athletic trainer back at, at their school, um, you know, within our, our PT scope of practice, unless you're really in a, a cash-based system where, you know, you don't have to have a, you know, documented medical necessity. We just don't spend that much time in that realm. And, and for that reason, I think that, you know, the CSCS credential or textbook really does give PTs, a good enough and a, a fairly substantial basis of understanding so they can speak the same language with those athletic trainers with the credential or the strength coaches, but it's, it's not what we do it, you know, day in and day out. And, and so I think anything beyond those resources should be, uh, mm -hmm. you know, not light reading, but, but considered more, you know, for your own personal, personal interest or development rather than out of a professional necessity. Uh, absolutely. And with regards to residencies, are there any things that uh, students can, should consider before applying for a residency, whether that be ortho, peds, um, or like neuro, any specialty? Are, are there any considerations that students should make when going through that process? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is is finding out who your mentors would be throughout your mm -hmm. your residency. 
there are a lot of different, you know, universities that you can go through, Evidence in Motion, you can go through other companies to help deliver the content, which will help prepare you for, you know, your, your board certification exam. But, but the big, the big value that, that I really experienced was the time spent during the clinical mentorship. And there are, you know, plenty of ways to go through, you know, an evaluation, a treatment process, so many different methodologies, so many different learning and teaching styles. I think that, that the most important thing is to find the best fit that you can with those, those mentors that you will be with in the clinic. I would, I would much rather have, you know, a, a mentor that, that I can communicate well with and who knows when to, mm -hmm. to push a little bit harder and maybe when to be a little bit more encouraging uh, then mm -hmm. and then have to work a little bit harder in my exam preparation than than to go through a program that is going to give me a lot of the you know exam preparation content, but then be lacking in in the clinical time. Uh, I'm really not interested in being the best exam taker. Uh, all I all I need to do for for my board you know certification once these tests get scored, I'm still waiting on on the score to come back. Is is just like the licensure exam just pass, right? You don't mm -hmm. get any extra points yeah. for, for going above and beyond. Um, and so, yeah. so I would, I would say first and foremost, uh, make sure before you make any final decision to, to be comfortable with, with the mentors that you would have, and then also know what the other strengths or, or parts of what that residency will be, you know, outside of, of your clinic hours. Uh, so for, for my decision going to Creighton, I wanted to have teaching experience. So, Every program that I had considered is one that was university-based and the residents helped teach in the DPT curriculum. So that was that was a number one for me. Uh, and then I also wanted to be able to do some research because that's, that's not something that we had the luxury of at South College in terms of time. And so being able to do some research, being able to do some teaching were, were the draws for my specific program. And then even after my offer of acceptance. Uh, I wanted to have a deeper conversation with, with each of the mentors, you know, more than we could have during, during our interview day uh, before I made my final decision. Awesome. That's a lot to take yeah. in. And I, I really appreciate the insight. Um, Eric, do you have any I don't. Uh -uh. Uh, other questions? That was just incredibly informative. Yeah. I learned a lot about residency. That, that definitely helped a lot. Good. I'm glad I've, I've picked a lot of people's brains. That was that was a lot of little bits of information from from people who were a lot smarter than me. So so hopefully <laughs> I was able to to synthesize it well for you guys. Yeah. Does every residency have a teaching and research component to it? No, they they do not. Uh, okay. Typically, uh, those are only going to be with with a university based um, program, and then from from there they still they still vary a little bit. Um, I would imagine that most universities that have, you know, a residency and a, a DPT program are going to have faculty members who are doing some form of research. And so that would be an opportunity. Uh, mm -hmm. But for for Creighton, that was that was a requirement for it as well. And so the, the thing that I liked is that that being a requirement, we had some time built in and, and kind of the expectations of the faculty there to, to serve as, as research advisors wasn't another, you know, few hoops that I would have to jump to, to, to try to get that set up. Gotcha. And then uh, was adjuncting at a college always a goal of yours or is that just something that happened after residency? 
Now that was that was something that had developed while I was a student at South. Okay. So while I was going through the program, I was I was thinking that you know at some point I wanted I wanted to be on on the other side there. Um, I just I draw a lot of connections between a lot of what we do with our patients. You know when it when it comes to you know teaching, coaching, you know cueing, you know corrective movement patterns, teaching people how to you know squat or or to deadlift to move. Uh, there's a lot of parallel for me in in working with you know with PT students who are learning these you know manual therapy skills, learning you know your differential diagnosis skills, uh, and and so I I see a, a big connection there. And in my mind, really, what what we do as as a profession, you know, are are really teachers, and we're teaching people how to move, you know, how to move better, how to prepare their bodies better. Uh, if it was as simple as just putting somebody on a knee extension machine or or slapping some e-stim on people, then then yeah, we we wouldn't have you know as many clinics around, and and we wouldn't have have people who are who are still hobbled with with you know subpar care. And so I I see it as two sides of of the same coin, and I'm I'm really really happy that that I'm able to get into the teaching you know as early on as I can. Um, I think you know this health and fitness promotion class was was a great fit for me to start getting my foot in the door when I started teaching it. Um, I, I don't think that I'm, I'm quite qualified enough when you look at the caliber of musculoskeletal faculty to, to step in there and knock anybody else off of, of their spot. But, but maybe if they, if they get sick and they need to, to call somebody in, I'll, I'll be coming off the bench at some point. Hey, next man up. I love that. <laughs> That's right. Well, I don't have any further questions. I just can't thank you enough. It was such an honor to to have you on the show. I know uh, you mentioned you're going to be doing a lot of uh, camping coming up. Do you have any places you like to camp? Uh, typically, uh, we head up into the Smoky Mountains, being being close here to Knoxville. But uh, we may we may try to do a little bit of of some branching out around around the southeast here. But my my number one hobby outside of of reading more things about PT or strength and conditioning or, or motor learning stuff, which I, I definitely will, will nerd out on is, is fly fishing. So if, if you can get nice. me up in the mountains or near, <laughs> near some water, then, then I'm happy, whether that's, you know, the, the mountains here for some of, some of the wild, you know, tiny trout, if it's saltwater for, for, you know, redfish, whatever it is, if, if I can throw a line in the water, I'm, I'm pretty darn happy. That's great. Nice. nice. Well, uh, thank thank you again, Doctor De Hope, and uh, it was a pleasure having you on today. Yeah, thank I enjoyed so it. Much. Thanks for your time. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you again for listening to our first installment of our rebranded Paragon podcast. As I mentioned before, if you could send us uh, a review on all major platforms for podcasting, that would be great. Go follow us our go follow our page too if you would at Paragon underscore Physios. And as always, thank you all for listening.